0: For our scripture reading this morning, I'll go ahead since he's not here yet. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. We're reading verses 15 to 20. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. May the Lord add his blessing to reading of this portion of scripture, even this morning. Let us pray. Father, we come before you once again to praise your name. We thank you for your word of truth which blesses our hearts in every way. Your word encourages us in our daily life. Your word leads us into this new week to live for you. Your word is that which blesses us in such a way we can understand the thinking of God to some extent in our own little way. We thank you, Father, you've called us to this place this morning, not only to witness a baptism, Lord, which is in agreement with you, Lord, but also to hear your blessed word in such a way that we can grow in grace and a knowledge of you. And so we come before you this morning to praise you, And thank you for God, the Holy Spirit, who teaches us well from your word that we might walk in the light as you are in the light and have fellowship with each other in such a way that we are blessed with each other's presence and we are blessed with you in our midst. And so we would ever give you much praise to walk with us, Lord. Touch us and teach us and guard us and guide us as we've already said, Lord, and use us for your glory. Especially this coming week, let us be lights shining in dark places, whether it's in a school or workshop or wherever it might be. For we are salt and light in a very dark world, which will get much darker as time goes on, as we know, because you have said so. And so we look to you, Lord, to keep teaching us and filling us till the day of the rapture of the church, which we look forward to with great uh, enjoyment. And so we would pray, Father, for your watch care over us. Bless our church family, Lord. Meet our needs. We all have needs, Lord. Touch us and help us, Father, in every way. Teach us to pray more, Father and we pray father for revival in our church as you know we pray that revival will start in our hearts and who knows where it will go from there father because your spirit is like the wind it blows where it will touches some here and touches some there and it's gone and comes again and so we would ever thank you father for your spirit that touches us teaches us help us father we pray for the leaders of our church we submit ourselves to their will in such a way that we trust father their planning would be your planning for the well-being of our church family and the church in this area that we might be lights in that dark world touching other people and so we pray father for your watch over our leadership in this church we pray for our pastor especially today father and for the candidate who is being baptized we thank you for Dylan we pray for him father even now we pray for your watch over him as one starts out We know there will be entanglements of this world by Satan who will try to stop us and keep us from growing and keep us from going and keep us from glowing. And so we pray, Father, watch over Dylan and his family in every way. We pray also, Father, for our missionaries, as we mentioned, those in the foreign field. They are our people reaching out to the uttermost parts of the earth. As you've called us to do. As we are a church in this local area, so we are a church in the broad sense, reaching out to many people across the world today. So we pray for missions. We think of our missionaries, Japan, Pakistan, Poland, and other places. We thank you, Father, for our missionaries. We pray for them today in a wonderful way. That your blessing be upon them. Use them, Lord, in every way. And so, Father, we would pray even now that you bless our camps. We bless those who are unwell. Bless our people like Dave Griffith, Lord. Help him in every way, Lord, even now. Bless our shut-ins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Would you please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2? Here we see the Apostle Peter's sermon on Pentecost, and this is the day that the church was born. This was the day when the Holy Spirit was pleased to move powerfully and many thousands were added to the church. And the Apostle Peter here, preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, boldly testified of Jesus Christ and the salvation that can be found in him alone. And he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And every one of us who is here this morning is equally guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ as those men of Israel were, as those Roman soldiers were. So when you ask the question, who crucified Jesus? We crucified Jesus. It was our sin that caused Jesus to be put on that cross. Brothers and sisters, he died for us. He died for us. It was our sins that were put upon him. And with baptism, we see the picture of Our union with Christ. Our guilt given to him. His righteousness given to us. For we know that although Jesus was killed on that cross, he didn't stay dead. We know that three days later he rose from the grave. Peter went on in verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God raised Christ up. We see the same thing in verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, and that Christ was therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out upon you. And then when the men of Israel heard this, they were cut to their hearts, and they said, What should we do to be saved? And Peter said in 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this is the promise for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Brothers and sisters, we have been called from death into life. We have been mysteriously unified with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit given to us. And as I preached two weeks ago, when Brandon and Dilly were baptized, baptism is a picture. It's a picture of our union with Christ. It's a picture of us being joined with Christ in his life. And then when Dylan goes under the water in his death. And when he comes up out of the water of his resurrection. So I would encourage each one of you here this morning to think about that. And to meditate on the glorious truths of the gospel that Dylan is going to demonstrate before you this morning. Come on, come on down, Dylan. As I said at the beginning of of the service, it is one of the greatest joys that I know as a pastor to see people come to life in Christ and to see that life demonstrated as individuals are changed under the preaching and the study of God's Word and the power of His Holy Spirit. And Dylan is a glowing example of what God can do in the heart of an individual, of what God can do in the heart of a man who was once dead, but is made alive by Christ and his spirit. And Dylan, I don't know if I told you this, but I remember, uh, I guess it was particularly last last fall, about a year ago, I had the thought and I was I was thinking, okay, what are we going to do about Dylan? I had known Dylan for for several years from when I served here previously as the youth pastor. And you know, as a, as a pastor, when I stand up here, I, I I I can tell for the most part who's who's really with us and who isn't, who's actually hearing what is being said from God's word, and and who isn't. And I could I could tell that although you were here, you weren't really here. And so I was thinking, what are we going to do about Dylan? But you know what? I didn't have to do anything about Dylan. God did something about Dylan. Because God called Dylan to himself. God raised Dylan from the dead. With the same power that he used when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It was not even a year ago it was just a Christmas time last year as Dylan's going to share and to see to see you growing and changing more into likeness of Jesus Christ every day I am just rejoicing with you to see that and I praise God for what he's doing in you and what he will do in you. So Dylan, do you believe that Jesus Christ? Is the Son of the Living God. I do. Do you believe that he died and was raised according to the scriptures? Yes I do. Have you repented of your sins and have you turned to Jesus Christ trusting him alone for your salvation? Yes I have. Well then Dylan it is my pleasure and my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
2: Well, I'd first of all like to thank all who can be here for this for this time. Uh, my life before knowing Christ just seemed pretty much as normal as anyone else's did. I didn't exactly grow up in a Christian home, per se, but we'd always gone to church every Sunday, and I had participated in uh, Sunday school since I was a kid. I'd learned since a kid who, who Jesus was and what he had done, but I guess you could say I never I never really believed it. It wasn't until the Christmas Eve service last year that I actually started to believe. The thing that struck me the most was when Pastor John had told the story about World War I. Uh, this recorded that about 100,000 people on, of British descent and of German descent fighting on the Western Front had stopped fighting on Christmas Day and sang carols and other such things. I realized that this uh, couldn't have been the work of just man, especially on the day. I have to give much thanks to God for the people he's placed in my life, especially Pastor John. I know that he preaches the gospel at any op- opportunity that he has, and I was finally starting to listen to it. A couple of weeks later, Pastor John had decided to start the family fun night again on Fridays. It had been three years since he had led the youth group here before, and I had settled into not having to do anything like this on a Friday night. My mom talked me into going for the first time, which I was pretty rebellious about, but we went anyway. We had started the study through Proverbs, starting in chapter 1. It had to have been the work of the Holy Spirit in me because I would loved every minute of it. The next week we proceeded with chapter two and I began to feel convicted in my heart. And we started talking about applying these things to our lives. Before I had come to know Christ, I didn't feel that I was the worst person, but we're all sinners in the eyes of God. I had not honored my parents. I swore quite regularly, including taking the Lord's name in vain. I was slipping in with the wrong crowd, whom of which I had smoked weed with a few times. During this time and studying, this was weighing down on my heart so greatly that I knew that I was a sinner and I had to commit my life to Christ. I now know what repentance really means, which is a change in heart which leads to a change in your actions. I had that night stopped using the Lord's name in vain by God's grace. When I would hear anyone say such things, it hurt me to hear it. Since I go to a public school, such profanities are the social norm and are heard regularly. I knew that this was going to be hard at first, but with my trust in the Lord, I knew He would guide me. We then started going to the Bible study here on Wednesday nights. God, had placed such a great group of people here to study with and to fellowship with. I'm thankful for the church family we have here. I know now who my real friends are who are not of the world. I want to be baptized because this is a symbol of my union with Christ in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And this is an outward obedience to keep his command. For he says in John 14:15, if you love me, you will obey what I command.
0: We're on. As I said, I like the pulpit. I'm more used to it, I guess. In our church, uh, outside Victoria, we had a large pulpit like this one. It's very handy. You have your hymn book here, and your Bible here, and your notes here, and your lunch over here, in case, <laughs> in case you're going overtime, you know. Not that a pastor goes overtime, because I'm sure we all enjoy the pastor's sermons that do go overtime. We like that. That's what the Bible is all about. We want a little bit more of the Bible every day, of course, as you know. I don't see our pastor yet, so let's... uh, Where's our hymn? Let's stand and sing, Come Thou Fount. A little different tune, but I think we know it quite well, so... Let's really sing it out.
3: Sing thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing. call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, that the singing above. Praise the mountain, rest upon it, in a beaming love. Here he raised my Ebenezer, here to thy help i come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to the home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering far from, from the home, of God, he who reads from danger there is all precious blood. Oh, to grace, how, grace how great a debtor a dying I am to be. Let my goodness like a feather, bind my wandering heart, heart to me. Thee. Pray though I feel it Lord, only my God, I love. Here's my heart, I'll take make Him seal it. it. My Lord, my Lord above.
0: Thank you. you. May be seated.
1: Well, that was about the fastest I've ever put a suit. Back on in my life, I think that's my tie straight. I hope so. Okay. Well, this morning, I'm um, continuing with the first half, as it's turned out to be, of uh, my final um, sermon in a series, where we've actually uh, I've actually broken away from what I usually do, as you know, if this is if this is your home church. You know that, uh, that my regular practice is to preach um, through books of the Bible line by line. But uh, when we as a leadership team um, had our retreat earlier in the summer, we, we decided that, uh, that well, there was some, th- we talked about a lot of things, but, but there were some, some key areas that we felt that we needed to, to work on in the life of our, of our church. And, and one of the main ones was, was church membership, of what it really means to be a part of the body of Christ. And the timing of it was, was really perfect in that just as, as Brandon and, and Delia and Dylan were, were ready to be baptized, I was I just finished the book of Joshua and it was perfect timing to do a little mini-series starting with baptism. And then we went from there into talking about, about church membership where we actually covenant together as a body. And this morning, I'm going to preach the the third, the first half of the third and final sermon in this mini series, and it's it's actually on one of the, the the topics that is right up there with divorce and remarriage as far as least favorite topics for a pastor to preach on. And it's the issue of church discipline. And for many of you, you probably have a a really skewed idea of what church discipline is of what it actually entails but it's really really important that we understand what the bible says about church discipline because it is very very important and we see it in scripture especially in the new testament again and again and again but what comes to mind when when i talk about or when i mention the term church discipline do you think of of a red-faced pastor yelling at somebody with his, with his finger pointed and somebody cowering and, and crying on their knees. I imagine that many of you are now where I was several years ago that the concept of church discipline was completely foreign to me. I'd never heard about it and I'd never actually seen it done, especially done in a biblical way. Many others here might think that church discipline is judgmental and unloving. Some of you may have, have seen it take place in a way that was judgmental and unloving. Some of you maybe have even experienced that yourselves, and so you come here with, with wounds and with pain in your hearts over this issue. But I pray that by the end of my sermon this morning, and especially when I finish the end of next week, that you will have a, have a better and a more biblical picture of what exactly church discipline is, and how important it is that we do it, and that we do it right. Now, if you're a part of this church, you know what God is doing here, and you see how God is at work, and you see how the love is growing and and it's just more evident as we are in each other's lives and encouraging each other and walking together. And I pray that, that you are part of a church where that's taking place as well. But the church is made up of, the true church is made up of people who truly love Jesus Christ and each other. Not just those who claim to be Christians, but those who are true disciples, true followers of Jesus Christ. Now, your view of church discipline is, is really tied with your view of the church. If you view church as just a place where you go from 10 o'clock until 1130 on Sunday mornings, then church discipline will seem to you to be cold and unloving. But I would argue that if that is the case, that is also because your view of the church is cold and unloving, that you really don't understand what the church is and what the church is supposed to be. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35 that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. Brothers and sisters, what did Christ do for us? How did he demonstrate his love for us? He died for us. And when you are walking shoulder to shoulder with other people that know in their heart of hearts that Jesus died for them, that it was their sins, as we talked about earlier, their sins that put Christ on the cross their sins that cause Christ's agony. It becomes a lot easier to love one another and to be gracious and merciful with one another and their faults. So I want to ask you then this morning, is fellowship important to you? Is holiness important to you? Are your brothers and sisters important to you? If they are, then you will practice church discipline because it's how you love one another. You're willing not even just to practice church discipline, but you're willing even to take up your cross and follow Jesus and to do the things, even the things that are most difficult. Because as Dylan said at the end of his His baptismal testimony, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we demonstrate our love for God by our obedience to him. You see, when a body of believers loves God with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind and all of their strength and loves their neighbors as themselves, they will do that. They will practice church discipline because they know that's how they protect each other. It's how they protect the body. It's how they protect the honor of our Lord. And it's even how you protect the sinning individual who is walking in unrepentant sin. So in order for us to get the picture of what church discipline is and, and how it should be should be functioned how it should function according to what the Bible teaches i'm going to look at the what the who the when and the why of church discipline now this week I'm going to focus on the who and the when and my main text will be be as was read this morning Matthew chapter eighteen verses fifteen to twenty but I'm going to be drawing from many different texts so first of all what what is Church disciplines. As I said from the outset, many of us have a wrong idea of church discipline, either from a bad experience or from no experience, or because we have bought into what the world is telling us, and it gives us a caricature of of something like I don't know if you if you've read um, Hawthorne's novel, um, The Scarlet Letter, and there you have they have this this picture of of dour people who who are just so cold and And they really aren't loving towards one another. And that's the picture that that the world believes. But the biblical picture is far, far different from that. If you remember what I said a couple of weeks ago during our, our communion service, that communion is not about me as an individual, remembering what Christ has done. Communion is about us together as a body, remembering what Christ has done, not just for, for me, but for us, for us corporately. And that's why church discipline in some denominations is referred to as excommunication. You were saying that that person is no longer welcome to join with us in receiving the Lord's Supper. When we receive the Lord's Supper together, we are saying that we are participating in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So to say that that person is not, is no longer allowed to do that, that is a big deal. That is a big deal. And it can even come to the point where we say that person is no longer a member of the church, because of their unwillingness to turn away from their sin. And that is also a very big deal. Now, the idea of church discipline, we usually see that in that negative context. And, and here i mean negative as far as, as where, where a church has actually had to go to the point of, of putting somebody out. But the word discipline actually has a much broader connotation. The Latin word for discipline is the same root from which we get the word disciple. Disciples are disciplined. It's closely tied to the idea of perfection and order. It might draw in your mind the picture of an athlete who is training for the Olympics, and that athlete is disciplined about everything that goes into their mouth. Disciplined about exactly how much sleep they have every night. Disciplined about the, what they work out and how everything, it's down to a science. Every part of their life is disciplined. Now the Apostle Paul presents the athlete as an example as well. And he says elsewhere that, that bodily training is of some value. It's of some value, but how much more is training for godliness? The athlete trains for a wreath that perishes, but we are training for an everlasting crown. So we too are to be disciplined. To be disciplined is is a vital part of the healthy Christian life. But there are actually two forms of discipline i'm going to be focusing mainly on corrective discipline where the the final step if it is not if the person does not repent the final step is actually taking the person out of fellowship but the other form of discipline is formative Discipline, formative discipline. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Pastor Thabidi Anyabwile explains that formative discipline refers to how Scripture shapes and molds the, the Christian as he or she imbibes the teaching of Scripture from pulpit ministry and also from private study. And also by, by rubbing shoulders and walking together with our brothers and sisters in Christ who do those things. They, they encourage us from God's Word. They teach God's Word to us. They speak God's Word to us. They share testimony of, of what God's Word is doing in their hearts. That's the formative discipline, and that's, that's one of the, the means of grace, of fellowship that God has given us. Last night, Jane and I went and, and had a fire by the beach on Okanagan Lake, and I thought I was, was well-organized. Well, I guess I was pretty well organized, but I had, a, I had a cigarette lighter, I don't smoke, but I had a cigarette lighter in my glove compartment so that I'd be able to start the fire. It's, that's kind of important. And I put it up there on the dashboard and brought the wood that I'd prepared over to the fire pit, but then I couldn't find the lighter. And I still have no idea where the lighter is, and, and I was scratching my head thinking, okay, how am I going to start this fire? now?" I had. I'm very proud of this, but at one time I did actually manage to start a fire by rubbing sticks together, and I was I was a very proud person after that. You could also I could have used a magnifying glass if it was daylight, but I couldn't. I didn't know how I was going to start this fire. So I we did see that there was another fire. I can't believe I'm confessing this here, but there was another fire um, just just a couple of sites away. Now the people had gone in, but the fire was still going, and I sort of softly called out. I didn't want to wake somebody up, but there was no answer. So, I took one of the logs out of their fire and went to bring it back to our fire. But, and that fire, even though it was raging and that log was was lit and burning, what happened? Almost as soon as I pulled that log out of the fire, what happened? The flame went out. The flame went out and there was just a few embers and we had to hurry to get it going in order to actually get, the, get that fire before the embers even went out. And then I didn't, I didn't actually keep the log, I did bring it back and, they, and the people came out and wondered what was going on. But, but I did return the, the fire that I stole. But, but we're like that, we're like those logs in a fire, we need each other. We need each other. It's, it's As soon as you pull the logs out of the fire, they cool, cool down almost immediately. And one of the means of grace that God has ordained is fellowship. As we walk together, we keep each other hot in the Lord. That's why, that's why it is so serious when somebody forsakes the fellowship. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we're told not to forsake the fellowship. And that doesn't just mean making sure you show up for church on Sunday. It means spurring each other on to love and good deeds. And that is what that formative discipline is all about. Paul David Tripp says that if you follow the Lord for a thousand years, you would still need the ministry of the body as much as you did the first day that you believed. And this need will remain until our sanctification is complete in glory. We need each other. We need each other for that that formative discipline that is enjoyable as we walk together and serve together and, and talk about the things of the Lord together. But sometimes, sometimes an individual will persist in sin, will persist in unrepentant sin. And a brother or a sister who is lovingly concerned for their welfare will come alongside them and lovingly correct or rebuke them. Our Lord Jesus outlined the process for this, as we saw this morning in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5 to remove a brother from fellowship who was involved. in in scandalous sexual sin. Now we'll talk more about this next week, but church discipline to the point of removal from fellowship is not only for those so-called serious sins. Any sin is serious. And any pattern of unrepentant sin should involve church discipline. And if it goes unrepented. Even to the point of excommunication. So, somebody could be disciplined out of the church for laziness. There's examples of that in Scripture for divisiveness, for heresy. My church in Louisville, Emmanuel Baptist Church, on more than one occasion disciplined somebody out of the church for not fellowshipping for a sustained period of not coming to church. We have just saw how important it is that we attend church and we fellowship together. But most often, if somebody is, if their life is characterized by not attending church, then it's a sign of another problem. It's really a sign of a lack of love for God and a sign of a lack of love for each other. John said that that how can you say that you love God who who you have not seen if you don't love your brothers and sisters who you have seen? And I would say, how can you say that you love your brothers and sisters if you don't spend time with them? Jesus said, you'll know the tree by its fruit. You know, we have many grandparents here. You don't have to have to tell a grandparent to want to spend time with their grandchildren. They're eager to do it because they love their grandchildren. And we see this happening here in the church. We've talked about this many times, about how on after the, the fellowship time on Sundays and after the, the Wednesday evening Bible study and after the Friday night family night, people don't leave. They hang out and they keep talking. And they're not just talking about the weather. They're talking about their lives and how the Lord is making a difference in their lives. That's true fellowship. And I mentioned my church um, down in Louisville, and that is, even though it's spelled Louisville, it's Louisville. You've got to pronounce it like you have marbles in your mouth. Uh, it was very important for me to find a healthy church to attend. And there was one church that I had attended when I visited down there that I was very impressed with. It's it's Emmanuel Baptist Church. And and it was so important to me to find a good church that I actually called the pastor before I moved down there in order to ask him some questions about about his view of the church and and how the church functioned and his ministry philosophy. And one of the, the questions, one of the key questions that I asked the pastor was how... They had handled church discipline because I had been in the experience where where I had seen it happen in an unbiblical and unloving way. And I wanted to make sure that this was something that was important to the pastor. And he explained to me something that I hadn't thought of before. He explained that the vast majority of church discipline, the, the leadership of the church never even found out about because it was happening as a necessary part of the body life. Of course, the formative discipline was happening on that level, but also the corrective discipline was happening on that level. As people walked together and cared for each other and loved each other, they saw examples where people's lives were not measuring up to their profession of faith. They saw examples of where they were not living lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we know that none of us really lives a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we all fall short. We all sin often. Follow me me around for a little bit. And you'll see that I'm a sinner too. We're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. And that's not really what I'm talking about here. I'm talking, not talking about occasional lapses. I'm talking about a pattern of willful sin. Now, if you see me, if you see me sin, please come and talk to me about it. Pray for me and come and talk to me about it. I'm called to pastor this church, but like I said, we're all in the same boat. We're all brothers and sisters. There is no one here who is more, more important or less important than anybody else. As we saw last week, we're all members of the body of Christ. But when somebody is in a pattern of sin, Matthew here outlines what we're to do. He says that we are to to go to that person, first privately. And then, if they refuse to repent, we take along another brother or sister with us. And then if they refuse to to repent even then, then you take, take them before the church. And you publicly expose their sin. Now, I know that very, very few of you will have experienced that. But historically, up until really about 50 years ago, healthy gospel-preaching churches practiced discipline. I went to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and in, in Baptist history, they would, they would, on average, discipline out of the church, on average, 2% of their membership every year. And you might be thinking, wow, that's not a very good church growth strategy. But you know what happened? Those churches doubled the population growth. That's why I entitled my sermon, Addition by Subtraction. And we'll see more on that next week as I talk about how this is, this is to function and why we do this. Why we do it. So when I first went down to Louisville, When I first visited that church, I guess within a couple of weeks of my getting there, there was was an annual members members meeting, quarterly members meeting. And and like I said, I'd never seen this happen in a biblical way, so I really wasn't sure what to expect. But the picture that I saw was completely the opposite of that caricature of the red-faced pastor yelling and pointing a finger what I saw was a pastor who loved the sinning individual and was up there with tears in his eyes as he he talked about this individual and their sin. And I was thinking, wow, that's a church that I wanna be a part of. Because I know that if I sin willfully and follow in a pattern of willful sin, that they'll do that for me too. That they will love me enough to come after me. To tell me, John, you are in sin. Repent. 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 Now here at that church, there was a step that I hadn't really considered. At that meeting, they exposed The person sinned. now I had never met the individual because they had not been in church for some time before I came. This was not something that happened over a period of days. This was something that happened over several months before it finally got to that step. But the pastor encouraged the members of the church who knew this individual to go to him, to go to him and to plead with him to repent. And so this, this, this man was actually a hairdresser. And in the following weeks, I believe it was over 40 individuals from the church actually made an appointment to get a haircut and went to him and sat in his chair. And I think that would be a little bit risky to be sitting in a barber's chair with a sharp instrument telling him he needs to repent. But that's what they did because they loved this man enough to plead with him to come back. Now, sadly, to this point, as far as I know, he is not. But we pray that he would repent, that one day he would come back. And during my time there in Louisville, I saw several times where individuals were brought before the church in discipline. And time after time after time, those individuals actually repented. They actually came back to the church. And we're welcomed gladly back into the body. And we'll see next week that that is one of the, the major reasons why it happens. It's actually to help that person to be shamed into repentance. Now, baptism, as we saw two weeks ago, is a visual demonstration or a symbol of our union with Christ. Christ of our joining with Christ, but it's also a declaration that somebody has joined the invisible universal church. And then last week we looked at church membership, which is also a declaration. It's a declaration this time that that the individual is joining with the local visible church. So they're actually, when somebody becomes a member, they become a member of Gushigan Fellowship Baptist Church. They become a part of this particular body. We also saw that membership is actually a covenant where we are committing ourselves before God to come together, to partner together, to love each other, to encourage, to edify, to admonish, and even rebuke each other. That's part of what it means to covenant together. But church discipline is also a declaration. Where baptism is a declaration that somebody is identified as part of the church, and membership is a declaration that somebody is part of the church, discipline is a declaration that the person is no longer a part of the church. We're saying that they are no longer a part of this visible local church. Here's what I mean. When somebody has come to the end of the church discipline process and is excommunicated out of the church, we are declaring that we cannot confidently identify this person as a Christian. We are saying that we don't think, based on this person's behavior, that they are indeed saved. Now, of course, we cannot determine with 100% accuracy whether or not this person is genuinely saved. This will will, will be revealed through the course of their life, if they actually come back, then yes, they were saved. But if they never come back, then they are proving themselves to be unbelievers. So now this takes us then to the who of church discipline. This will be shorter. The recipients of, the, of church discipline are those of the church. If they are not part of the church, They can't be under church discipline. Now, in a perfect world, this will be members. This will refer to members of the church. However, there are times when even somebody who's an adherent, somebody who comes week in, week out, and claims to be a believer, should actually be removed from fellowship. Now, that will look a little bit different depending on the the actual situation. But we are saying that this person is no longer a member. They're no longer a part of us. Now, many of you here are Vancouver Canucks fans. Sorry, Joel. On the Vancouver Canucks, there is a clear boundary between who is on the team and who is not on the team. I will never be a part of the Vancouver Canucks But even Alex Ovechkin, as good of a hockey player as he is, if he were to put on a Canucks jersey and go go out there on the ice on the left wing and try to take Daniel Sedin's place on the left wing, what do you think is going to happen? The rest of the team is going to physically go out there and they're going to pick him up and they're going to take him off the ice. They're saying, you are not a part of our team. But it can also happen with somebody who appears to be part of the team. Somebody who who might have been signed. They might have a contract. They might have all the uniform. They might even have, have come to practices in the past. They might even have played games in the past. They might have scored goals and done amazing things in the past. But for whatever reason, they are no longer working out with the team. And when a game is on, instead of actually trying to get out there and do their job. They're they're skating in circles and doing little pirouettes. That that person is not going to be on the team for very long. First, they're going to get benched, and if that keeps up, they're going to be cut from the team and put on waivers. There is a clear boundary between who is on the team and who isn't. But just like with the Vancouver Canucks, it was the team that actually removed Alex Avechkin from the ice. Also, in church discipline, it is the team that removes the individual from the church. And we see that clearly in Matthew chapter 18. It's the church body that performs church discipline. As we saw earlier, the process involves first a private encounter between two individuals. And if that doesn't work, then you, it goes wider. If the person doesn't repent, then you take a brother or a sister. And if they still don't repent, that's when you bring it before the church. But the whole church is involved. No individual, not a pastor, not a deacon, not anybody has the authority individually to remove somebody from the church. It's the body that does it. It's the body. The body has been given the authority. Now, if that person persists in sin, if that person persists in sin, then the body says you are on the outside. And Jesus says that you are to treat that individual like a Gentile and a tax collector. And that doesn't mean that you take your tax forms to them. In in Scripture, when when you see somebody referred to as a Gentile and a tax collector, that's basically a euphemism for saying that this person is an unbeliever. So you are to no longer view this person as a believer, you view them as an unbeliever. And Jesus continued in verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So under Jesus, it is the church that has the authority to bind and loose. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, this authority is first given to Peter, but then here it is extended to the church, to all of Christ's disciples. Matthew 16, it's referred to as the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So the church is declaring, the church has the authority to declare the terms of salvation. The church has the authority to say that that those who repent, those who come back are forgiven and those who don't are unforgiven. That's the authority that that the church is given. Jesus goes on to say, Again, I say to you, if two or three on earth agree of anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And although it's true that Jesus is there at, at when any, whenever two or three are gathered at a prayer meeting or, or just when a, when a few people from the church get together for fellowship, yes, Jesus is present there. But Jesus is also present when you're there alone. So that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about a prayer meeting. The context shows that he's talking about church discipline. He's saying that when you gather together, You have this authority. We see this also in the the situation that I mentioned earlier from 1 Corinthians 5, verses 4 and 5, where Paul says, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus... It's something that we do together. So you are removing this person in the hopes that they will come to repentance. Now in this case here in 1 Corinthians 5, it appears as though the individual did repent, as though he did come back, and then Paul exhorted the people to welcome him back with loving arms, back into fellowship. But we need to consider here, what is our responsibility as a church to those who have been disciplined out of the church. We saw that we are to treat them as an unbeliever. What do you do with an unbeliever? You share the gospel with them. You share the gospel with them. You tell them to turn away from their sin and to put their faith in Jesus Christ. You don't just hang out with them and pretend that everything is okay. If you have interactions with them, they are intentional and you are calling them to repentance. You tell them lovingly, but gently and fir- and also firmly that they are guilty and justly deserving of the wrath of God. God is a righteous judge. He must punish sin. He must. Otherwise, he would be no longer righteous. But you also remind them that Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, came to shed his blood for sinners. He came to save sinners. You remind them that Jesus bore the wrath of the Father on the cross and that they no longer have to have God's wrath poured out on them. You tell them that in Christ you can also have the righteousness of Christ. Tell them that if they turn away from their sin, that they will be forgiven, that their guilt will be given to Jesus and his righteousness will be given to them. That is the divine transaction of the gospel. Our guilt to Jesus, his righteousness given to us. Now I'll finish next week with the, the when and the why of church discipline, but I want to have a couple of brief exhortations. First of all, for those of you who are a part of this church family. So Gushigan Baptist Church, how do you view church discipline? And does it line up? Does your view line up with what scripture teaches on the subject? We need to be praying that the Lord would reinforce the truth of this in our hearts. And to be praying that that should the situation arise, should the need arise, that we will be found faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to this church, faithful to the the community who is watching, and faithful to that erring brother or sister. For those of you who are part of different churches, my, my prayer for you is the same that you will seek to obey God in these things and that you will lovingly go to somebody. If somebody sins willfully and you see a pattern of this, don't go to anybody else about it except God and them. Pray and then go and talk to them about it. Seek their repentance. Finally, for those who are unbelievers, first of all, to the unbelievers who attend this church. We try to live out the gospel before you week in, week out. You hear the gospel preached from this pulpit week in, week out. God is calling you to repentance. God is calling you to repentance. God is calling you to turn from your sin and be saved to become part of this church for the glory of God now finally for those who are unbelievers who are visiting maybe you've heard the gospel before maybe you haven't but you've heard it now and God is calling you to repentance you didn't have an excuse before and you certainly don't have an excuse now jesus christ said i am the way the truth and the life there is no way to the father but through him if you are seeking to be right with god through anything besides jesus christ you are still dead in your sins and trespasses, and God is calling you to repent. I'll finish here with the words of Second Corinthians five, verses twenty and twenty-one. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection, his glorification. And we know that in Christ, we have all of these things too. Lord, I pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to your word. Lord, whether whether somebody is here as an unbeliever this morning, that by the Spirit working in their hearts that they would come to repentance. And Lord, for those here who are believers, that you would help us to look to your word and help us to understand biblically what our responsibility is when it comes to both formative and corrective church discipline. We ask these things by the grace and love and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.